And the number one failure phrase is I'll try. Self-talk is usually negative. Self-instruction is not. And me as the instructor, I get to hear the anxiety. So what I'm looking for is, oh, and what I hear is, pull, 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 pull. Whereabouts are your base, Joel? Right now I'm in Montana. Oh, and then on your email you said you're coming down to Australia soon? Yeah, uh, in May, I think I leave May 10th, which will get me there on the 12th, I believe. Oh, wow. What's that for? Is it for like an event? Training? Yeah, I'll be, doing, I'll be doing shooting clinics in Melbourne. Wow, that's so cool. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Oh, yeah, you bet. I really loved your interview with Joe Rogan. And I think I just loved how like, you have all this experience. Not only did you talk about archery, but you're able to sort of talk about like anxiety sort of being focused under pressure. And, and I'm really excited to dig into all of that today. Perfect. Um, awesome, Joe. I guess, please tell me and, and our audience a bit about yourself and, and, and about your story. Well, I've uh, born and raised in Washington State in the U.S. and uh, been shooting rifles and archery from a very young age. I think I started shooting a bow when I was seven years old. And you know, school and then college. And during college, I was a goose hunting guide. And then I started working for the USDA, which is wildlife services, which is a lot of shooting involved in that particular job. And it was fairly high stress because you're doing uh, animal removal in urban areas. So that's some of my background. And then after that, I became a police officer. And then I spent almost 21 years as a cop. And uh, almost 19 of those years was on the SWAT team. Uh, I was a sniper team leader and eventually a team leader for a team. And uh, so, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. I just, I grew up, I just wasn't that good of a shot, but I loved shooting and rifles and archery, archery mostly. And but I didn't have control of myself in those moments, especially high stress moments of bow hunting or, and, uh, or high stress tournaments and such. So it was very frustrating. It was a very frustrating upbringing because I could not control myself in these high stress events that I wanted to perform so well in, but just did not know how to control my mind. And being a a police officer, that's what really got me to dive into the research because it just it just didn't exist. It was not out there. There was all kinds of, of help out there, but it was all based on people's opinions and not on the science of how your mind actually works, especially in high-stress events. So, you know, that's where Shot IQ came from, and now I travel around the world doing shooting clinics and soon to be doing corporate speaking engagements and such, because after the Joe Rogan podcast, it just really blew up and it got me to expand my own horizons in, in thinking essentially. And how do you apply this stuff to everything? And I had a person ask me a very interesting question the other day that I want to pose to you and we'll go from there. And the question was, define the mental game and wow. that could be for any subject what a, what a broad question right define the mental game because especially in shooting we are always working on the mental game but we've never actually defined what that is so be it 
basketball, football, baseball, anxiety, anger management, whatever it is, what is the mental game for that? What do you got for me? So when you brought it up, the first thing that came to my mind is right now I'm having this conversation with you, Joel, and I'm trying to stay present, but at the same time I'm thinking of these different questions and I'm writing it down and I'm not having control over my brain. Like if I have control over my brain, I can be super present and all these fleeting thoughts don't really distract me. Um, and, and I think that mental game is that constant sort of battle you have with the brain. Like when I'm sort of scrolling through social media, trying to get self-aware and trying to jump off, but then my brain isn't that strong and I'm exhausted from a long day of work and I just keep scrolling because my mental game isn't that strong yet. I don't know. So when you, and you're, you're hitting on it there, but when you, when you define the mental game, the mental game, the definition of it is this. It is knowing when, where, and how to direct your conscious mind into a specific task at a specific moment. It is basically how do you override because if you're talking about your brain and, and even getting out of bed in the morning, there is a moment of truth that you have to gain control and you have to make a decision to do that. Because you don't just find yourself getting out of bed, just falling out of bed. It's nice and cozy and warm in there. And you have to override your limbic system in your brain with a conscious decision. And that comes at a very specific moment. So when you understand the definition of when, where, and how to direct your conscious mind for a specific task at a specific moment, when you are working on the mental game or you say that you are practicing the mental game, you first have to define the task. What is it? Like maybe it's shooting a free throw in a basketball game. The game winner, right? Moment of truth. So you... You define the task, and then you define the moment within that task that requires conscious control. And then and only then can you actually practice your mental game for whatever it is that you're working on, be that anger management. So like if people have anger problems, there's a moment in time when they're about to spin out of control. And if they don't know how to gain conscious control in that moment, then their subconscious is going to override them. So what we're really talking about is this conscious override of whatever system you're battling. In shooting, you're battling the central nervous system. In most other things like diet and exercise and all these other things, you're battling the limbic system that just wants you to be happy and comfortable and all of those other things. But it takes that conscious override for us to do difficult things, for sure, especially in high stress. So for the last two or three mornings, I've been waking up and I've been trying to really get self-aware about the feelings I'm feeling. Because you're right, even this morning, I woke up, my brain is foggy, I want to go get out of bed, I know it's the right thing to get out of bed. I have this heat underneath my bed where it's, it's starting to get hot, I'm getting sweaty, I, I need to get out. So it forces me to get, but at the same time, I'm like dealing with the heat and I'm just continually lying in. I'm like, what's going on? It's like... It's a bit of brain fog since I just woke up. It's a bit of fear of the cold sort of rush that would hit me as I take off my thing. But then the fear isn't too big of a fear. Like something is stopping me. And then eventually I just take off my thing. Like I just force myself to like pull off my blanket and I get out. 
but it doesn't get easier. And I'm like, why do I feel this way? And, and I don't want to battle every morning. Well, that battle, but when you, so, I mean, just, it's the simple mental game of waking up and getting out of bed, right? It's just, you get, the more you do it, the more you make that decision, you know, if you, if you want to wake up earlier in the morning, set that alarm and, you know, force yourself to make that decision. It's how do I direct my conscious mind into a movement in that situation? And if you, if you're wondering how to concentrate on a movement, it's simply through speech, right? You simply say the movement that you want to happen and that puts your conscious mind on the movement and it makes it so much easier to actually do the movement. But, you know, so shooting would be, like everything can, shooting is the highest level of concentration that we can get because you are literally, literally concentrating on a movement that causes an explosion. And that is very difficult for the human mind to comprehend. So you have to have massive amounts of determination so that you make a decision. The decision increases your presence. And then and only then can you actually concentrate on this movement. So shooting, I mean, you don't get punched in the face every time you get out of bed, right? That would be shooting, <laughs> right? So when you know, all these things can be practiced through shooting, archery or firearms or whatever, whatever you want to do, it's the highest level of concentration that we know of for the human mind. So when you're sort of pulling the bone arrow, are you sort of saying out loud, lower my heart rate, focus, aim for the bullseye are you like saying it out loud to start that motion so have you ever shot a bow andy yes I, I recently picked it up for the first time november last year okay so if you don't make decisions like a decision before you draw your bow back if you don't make a decision to shoot your shot with control then you allow the subconscious to shoot that shot for you so all of your movements are then governed by your subconscious and the problem in shooting is that there's a default that your mind would rather do. It would rather brace you for impact. It would actually, it would rather not you not shoot your bow at all. So you kind of force yourself to actually draw this string back and create tension in your body. You've created this tension and your mind wants to know exactly when that tension will be released. So it, let's go the arrow for you, right? It doesn't, there's nothing that tells you to let the arrow go, right? Especially if you're shooting, uh, you're shooting a recurve or a compound or what do you got? Um, it was like a normal, just bow, like wooden bow with the string. Yeah. So you're shooting a traditional style bow. And in that your release mechanism is directly connected to your brain. So are you shooting thumb? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I shoot thumb as well which is pretty rare here in the US. But so if you're shooting uh, with your thumb, there's nothing that tells you when to let it go. Mm -hmm. So your subconscious is driving that. So it will always link pre-ignition movements to your trigger motor program, to your release motor program. So there's something else that happens. Are you shooting uh, like a horse bow or what are you shooting for a bow? Or is it, do you know what it is? I don't know what it is. I was doing this, it was like, it was called 3D archery where um, we had a few lessons and there was like obstacles around the mountain and it was like these sort of 3D sort of animals and we should be shooting those animals. Okay. So it's about not allowing your subconscious to have the release 
to have the release mechanism. So you can allow your subconscious to do the aiming for you. It's very good at that. It's the science of visual proprioception. So you draw your arrow back and I imagine you're shooting with no sight on your bow. Okay. So you have no sight on your bow. So you draw back and you get this somewhat instinctive type of aim where you're setting your arrow on a trajectory path. And then once you have set that aim, you don't have control over it anymore. Your subconscious simply returns it back to center of whatever sight picture you have, you have chosen. And then you have to separate from that. Like if you don't separate from it, your subconscious will use the aim as the stimulus for your shot. So when it sees the right sight picture, it'll automatically send the release motor program because that makes sense to it, right? And then if you if it sends it based on the aim, then it knows when it's going to happen and it braces you for impact. Like if you're if you were to let go of your bowstring and it didn't move, you would then see and your bow stayed at full draw, you would then see all of the pre-ignition movements, all those other muscle contractions that come into your body right? But we don't ever get to see those because the bow fires every time. With a firearm, if you have the safety on, or maybe you put a dummy round in that firearm, then you get to see the people that they flinch, right? They yank the trigger and their whole body flinches. The same thing happens even tenfold with a bow, but we don't see it because the bow always fires. Now is that human conditioning or like if you give someone a gun for the very first time they're going to have that same effect it, it's you're born with it you're i mean you were born with like if 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 i was in that room with you right now and i pushed you over you would put your arms out to yeah. catch yourself those are pre-ignition movements those are pre-impact movements to brace your body have have you ever heard of the trust fall yes Okay, why is why is the trust fall always backwards? Um, I guess that that's sort of where you can't put your hand out. So you're really trusting the person because there's nothing for you to... And you can't see the impact coming. Yeah. So it's much easier for you to not brace for impact because you can't see it coming. So if you were to shoot your bow with your eyes closed, it's a thousand times easier to then concentrate on certain aspects of your shot. But because your mind sees the arrow in the right spot, that equals an explosion. Therefore, the pre-ignition movements will happen with the release. So if I was to push you, if you did a trust fall forward, it would be extremely difficult for you to keep your hands across your chest and not move them because you're going to, you can see the impact coming, right? So these are the things that we're talking about. You could do it, but think about the conscious override that it would take and the concentration it would take to keep your hands crossed against your chest. That would be your entire world, even though you're seeing this impact coming. So that is shooting, right? That's why shooting is such a amazing tool for concentration practice. When I was sort of picking up archery the, the very first time, I think initially the instructor told me to sort of look at the arrow and sort of point it a bit diagonally to the left of the bullseye and sort of I was trying to figure out where to point it and, and sort of keep my sort of hold consistent but that never did as well as as we got to the end he, he was telling me how like a lot of the the best archers sort of shoot from the heart and he was sort of talking about how it, it you know you sort of aim from the heart and you sort of feel it 
So I started transitioning to that feeling motion and all of a sudden I was consistently getting close to the bullseye. And it was, I don't know what it was. It was it's similar to what you said earlier about the subconscious mind being really good at sort of aim. But when I sort of was very logical and I was looking at the point, putting it directly underneath, diagonally from the bullseye, that gave a lot of inconsistent results. But when I sort of really just felt the arrow and visualized it going to where I wanted, somehow it did exactly what I visualized. So a couple things that you said there. Number one, when you explain that, it's very difficult for you to blueprint exactly what was happening. You started into a separate, what I would consider a separated shot, because what you did is you, you made your aim much more vague. So it was much more of a feeling type aim, which then you gave away, you stepped away from that and you were able to put concentration in other aspects of your form. Mm. But it all started with, you know, if, if an instructor tells you to shoot from the heart, that means that they don't know the mental mechanics of how your mind works. Mm. They have, they have maybe been instructed in this before, or that's how they do it. But that is a very intangible set of instructions. Yes. Like if I, if I told you, Andy, man, you're the greatest shot I've ever seen in my life. I want to be just like you when I grow up. And you say, well, Turner, what you need to do in this case is you need to concentrate on a movement that gets you to your release. I'm like, oh, so I need to concentrate. I'm like, oh, outstanding. How do I do that? Right? And most people that I ask that question to cannot tell me how to concentrate, especially in high-stress events. So again, that how, it's simple. It sounds so simple. It's not easy, but concentration runs through speech. What you say is what you think. So if you need to step away from the aim, you have to decide to do that. Like when he told you that to shoot from the heart, it changed your thought process and it got you to concentrate on things other than the aim, which is the first step of shot control. But if you just leave it as that, as shooting from the heart, your subconscious quickly learns those other movements and starts to shortcut them because your subconscious is always looking for efficiency. Just like your limbic system is always looking for for pleasure and comfort and all those things. So to go against that, takes a decision. You'll never just find yourself in control of anything. To be truly in control of your mind requires conscious override of certain systems that are throughout our body. So you're talking about concentration is sort of, it starts with speech. Mm -hmm. Could you sort of share an example? Would you be saying, hey, I want to get focused and you'd be saying that out loud, those words? So if you need to concentrate you need to know what you're concentrating on. Remember the the definition of the mental game, where? Where do I need to put my conscious mind? So let's put it in let's put it in two different contexts. Let's put it in a in a sports movement that requires you to keep your conscious mind out of the movement. So let's take basketball for example. You have a free throw shooter, so this is the game winning ball, game winning shot. And they have a routine that they follow. So they spin the ball and then they bounce it three times and they shake their rear end and then they shoot the ball. That's their normal routine. So 
But if they don't know, if they've never blueprinted how they actually do it, when it's the game-winning ball, there's more value placed on that, and they will change how they think. So they spin the ball, they bounce it three times, they shake their rear end, and then they, as they're shooting the ball, they're like, oh, I've got to make this, or I've got to break my wrist just perfect. And they actually put conscious thought into the movement. And when that movement is supposed to be open loop, meaning smooth and fast and not gaining so fast that you can't gain feedback within it, you have to keep your conscious mind out of that movement so that you can do what you've practiced thousands and thousands of times through repetition. If that free throw shooter put in their sequence a saying at the moment of truth when they're about to shoot the ball and they say, just over the rim, or something that has to do with vision, right? If they put their conscious mind into vision, because that is what judges the trajectory of the ball and guides all of those movements. So if they put their conscious mind, their concentration into vision, it stays out of the movement. Same thing in golf, same thing in football or whatever sports movement you're looking at, except for shooting. If we are shooting, let's say that we're shooting uh, with a mechanical release aid, okay? So the archer draws back, and then they aim. So once they get their aim complete, then they put their finger on the trigger. And then once their finger's on the trigger, they have to make a decision because they're about to do a movement that causes an explosion. So they would then need to concentrate on the movement of the trigger. It must become their entire world. So to put the concentration into that movement, let's say that pulling, not moving the finger, but actually pulling their hand through the strap of the release, that's what makes the release fire. So they would draw back an aim. Once the aim is complete, they would wrap their finger around the trigger and then they would say, here I go, which is the decision that increases their presence. And then they talk themselves through their movement, like pull. Because when you are speaking and when you are stretching that word, no other thoughts can get in there. So you are singular minded at that point. That is true concentration. So two different things. In one sport, we're keeping the conscious mind out of the movement. In another sport of shooting, we're putting the conscious mind into a movement. Two completely different things. Interesting. So with the getting out of bed example we mentioned earlier, would it be, is this how you would do it? I'd wake up and I'd be like, okay, it's a new beautiful day. Let's take the blanket off me. Is that the right way to... If you, if you needed to concentrate on that movement, then yes. But mostly it would just be get up right get up. just make a decision and then do the movement that gets you out of bed yeah that's literally what it is that's the first concentration test of the day literally yeah. speaking it instead of just sitting there thinking about it because if you're thinking about it or if you grab your phone and you start getting distracted by that you're not making any decisions at that point you're staying comfy you're doing, you're out, you're staying in bed, and then you're getting stimulus from your phone and all this stuff. Instead of you just laying there and going, get up. Simple as that. I mean, it sounds so simple, but we don't do it. 
You're right. We don't do this conscious override of our limbic system. And it's just, I mean, it's it's the way to get things, it's how people get things done. Because if you don't, if you don't make the decision, you're just gonna be the victim of your own systems that are imprinted in your brain from birth. This really reminds me of there's this lady named Mel Robbins. She talks about this three second rule where when you're procrastinating, you're stuck in something, countdown from three to one and it i think it's maybe the same thing it overrides your limbic system or there's some psychological thing to it where you snap out of that trance in whether you're stuck on tiktok whether you're stuck in its youtube rabbit hole three two one and it sort of resets your body you're the three two one is a decision because you will never just find yourself saying three two one yes so it's a decision and that's prepping your body for the next task, which might be the movement of getting your butt out of bed, right? So you think about the it that three, two, one is always followed by something, right? It's not three, two, one, do nothing. It's three, two, one, here we go. What do we, you know, what's the next task? So you're prepping yourself for that. So I have like I've been testing a bunch of variations with my morning routine. And right now my morning routine is, you know, I wake up, I get out of bed, I change, I I do a bit of meditation, I plan out the day, and then usually the most difficult task is the first task. And usually when I finish planning the day and I look at that first task, fear comes in, pain, procrastination. I know if I start the task and build momentum, I'm going to start feeling really good afterwards. If I build that momentum by the end of the day, once I smashed all my to-do items, I'm going to feel very happy. But at that time and moment, it's, it's painful. I don't want to do some accounting. I don't want to do this press release. Um, I'd rather have an early breakfast. I'd rather check and watch some educational video on YouTube. But I've known every time I've done that in the past, it's led to a bad, unproductive day. Yet I still want that. And yet it's still difficult to do that hard task that would lead to a satisfying end. Right. So what is, I mean, like if your first task is a cold plunge, you know, that's, you'll never find yourself just dipping into a cold plunge, right? That takes a decision because you are overriding your central nervous system at that point. So it makes the rest of the decisions for that day so much easier. So, you know, just, you have to, be careful because it will just start to lead you astray. And then you, you know, the outcome's not that bad. Right. But, and that's how, you know, when I was figuring all this stuff out, not that I have it figured out, but this is my life now of thinking it was because of being a police sniper life or death situation. That was my why. That is, that's the why I had to figure all this stuff out. Sure, there was archery and there was shooting and all this stuff. But if I would have screwed that up, can you imagine, right? The consequences of, of that and living that for real. And, you know, it could have happened any day. But that's what drove me to actually start to research things and really think about this stuff. and. You know, you're because there's no real consequences to your just staying in bed. You're like, well, well, you know, there's no why. 
And, and you have to almost manufacture that. If you don't have something like what I had that was real life or death stuff, you know, a lot of people are going through the motions of life instead of, you know, living and doing, and they're just trying to do things. Like the first thing that I, that I do in my clinics is I write down failure phrases for people. And the number one failure phrase is I'll try because in shooting, at least if you're only trying, you will never override your own central nervous system. Trying is not strong enough. It takes massive amounts of determination. That why having that why just ups your determination. And then your determination has to be funneled into a decision. I'm going to do it this way, no matter what. And when you make that decision, now you're intensely present. And when you are present, then and only then can you actually concentrate. So, you know, people are very, very comfortable in their lives. And that's, that's good. I want people to be happy, obviously. But if they need to know, if they have something that's causing frustration in their life or whatever, you have to tackle it. And you have to know the mental game behind it. It's usually not just something physical. There's usually a mental game attached to it. And so defining that moment of truth, that critical moment within that task and defining the task itself, and then knowing how to put your conscious mind into it is the key to the mental game of life. Now, I have a group of three friends. We're sort of all entrepreneurs, all business people. Me and the other friend, we both do morning cold showers every morning. And we both hate it. It sucks. It doesn't get easier. We still feel the pain, but we push through it. We have a third friend that is not doing as well as us. And he doesn't do the cold showers. Um, we've told him, hey, you should do the cold showers, like build that sort of mental, but he just doesn't. He, he's done it a few times and he, he just doesn't like it. But we also don't like it. So what's the difference? Like, is it like, a, are we, are some people born with that extra bit of like determination or because we all hate the cold showers, but why does me and my friend do it every morning yet the third person doesn't? So it's a matter of determination. Their determination well is not deep enough. Mm. You know, they don't, cause they're not really experiencing any consequences from that. And you know, you and your other friend that do the cold showers every day, you're doing something that's very difficult. You are overriding your own central nervous system every morning. And you're doing that for the health benefits and all that. But you're all mostly you're doing that because when you come out of there, you've just done something that's probably the most difficult thing you're going to do that day. It's already done. You've already won for the day, right? And then the rest of the decisions that are made are so much easier. So you'll probably find that when it comes to decisions that have to be made amongst you that you and your friend are much quicker to make the decisions and that other person may be much slower in making the decision much more indecisive and because they don't practice making decisions you and your other friend that take cold showers you practice making decisions you practice the conscious override of your central nervous system every day and that that goes through every facet of your everyday life. And but I find that all the time in in my shooting clinics when I have somebody, they have the ability, they have the determination, but they don't know what to do with it. They don't know what decisions need to be made. 
they don't know when to make them, and they don't know how to carry those decisions out. There are no natural-born shooters. There are natural-born decision makers. So it's somewhat of a personality thing as well. And you'll see that that's how they, that's how they run their life. And there's all different personalities out there. It's going to be some, some personalities can be much more difficult for them to jump in a cold shower every day because they maybe don't realize the benefit of it or whatever. So there's, you know, very logical people, there's indecisive people that, I mean, it, it takes all kinds, right? But those people are usually not leaders in anything that they do in life. Now, do you think you're sort of born as a decision maker, as a leader, or is that something that can be developed? Because looking back, I think in high school, I was never the alpha, like I, I was bullied. I didn't have that many friends. I was never the, the wolf. I was never the sort of pack lead. I wasn't organizing things. And I, as I started growing, getting into entrepreneurship, building teams, hiring employees, starting to sort of travel on my own, then starting to invite friends to tag along, I've sort of grown into someone that has these sort of leader qualities, but I've, I don't think I had that growing up. You may have had it, but you did not, it was suppressed because there was somebody that was better or, or you felt that they were better and you may be slightly introverted at that time. You know, I mean, the brain's still developing, right? When you're in those young years. So you'll, now that you've had this opportunity to make decisions for yourself, and so now you're starting to realize what it takes to be a leader in these certain in certain aspects but you have to know when to follow as well you have to know when to listen and i mean those are all those are all qualities of a good leader and you're finding out the mental game of being a leader that's what you're doing now so it's cuz you know you know what decisions need to be made when to make them and how to carry them out and it's very powerful. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I, I consider myself a leader in, in things and I found myself in that situation in, in many law enforcement entities, but it was just because I made decisions. It wasn't because I was the most physically able or whatever. I just made decisions. And in that line of work, they were life or death decisions. So it's, uh, when you get that experience, it's, it's, uh, it's very powerful. Talking about making decisions, like what is that? Like for example, when you go to a restaurant, you're trying to pick what you want and you're sort of just bouncing ideas, you're sort of weighing up what might taste better. Some people can do that calculation faster and come to the decision faster. Some people are struggling weighing all the different options up. Is it is it like a matter of calculations and the person who can make decisions faster are doing the math behind their brain quicker? Usually it's because it's a very minor decision. It doesn't really have consequences, mm. right? Like I, I look at a menu and, you know, I'm like, yep, that'll, that'll be just fine, <laughs> right? My wife looks at a menu and it's looking, well, maybe this or maybe this. And I'm like, just pick <laughs> something, right? Because it, you know, I've had to make a lot harder decisions than that. You've had to make a lot harder decisions than that. So there's not really, I mean, people get in paralysis by analysis and they just keep on going and going and not making the ultimate decision. So those things mean so little to those people that are choosing what to eat. It's just not that big a deal in their life. They've dealt with much more difficult decisions than that. 
But if somebody is sitting there on a menu and they just keep on looking at it and trying to decide, that's how they run their life. You can see how somebody runs their life pretty much by taking them out to dinner <laughs> because they're very indecisive in, in certain aspects, you know, if it, if it means something to you. Yeah. Like I'm pretty decisive when it comes to sort of logical decisions, business, um, talking to team members and, and sort of finding ways to lead them to the correct decision. But ironically, after a long day of work, I finish the work at 5 p.m. and I'm like, okay, should I go on an afternoon walk? Should I cycle? Should I go skateboarding? I'm sort of a bit in, like, I, I, it's hard for me to choose what activity, what movie to watch. When I go to the restaurant, I just tell, hey, like, what's the most popular thing? I get what they recommend and then that removes that decision. So ironically, when it comes to leisure activities, like, hey, I have this spare time. I don't, you know, I value my time. So I want to pick something that is really going to help me recover. It's going to be fun. It's going to be recharging. But I don't know if I should go on a walk, if I should, should go cycling. And then I'm like, damn, this is too much decision. So I do this thing where I just write down all the activities I have and I just rotate between them so I don't have to pick and choose because I struggle at that. Uh, so it's just, you know, I, I do that as well. I mean, we are both very busy people. So when we find ourselves with a bit of time, sometimes we're like, man, uh, what should I be doing right now? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that, and I think you have to have that though, because, you know, we are very, very busy people. And every now and again, you just got to have a moment to just kind of, I could do this or I could do this and just, just pick one. They're going <laughs> to be, it's going to be fine. Right. So, but I find myself in the same situation sometimes, like I'm here in Montana, my house in Montana, and it's just, I, this is the second podcast that I've done today, but in the middle of that, if I have downtime, I know that I'm going to shoot my bow because that is, that is everything to me. It's so challenging and it's concentration practice. It's decision-making practice. It's, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready for a hunt in New Zealand and so there's consequences to it. I know that I need to get better at it. And I've been chasing that ghost for, uh, let me think here, 39 years now. I've been shooting a bow for 39 years and I love it. I'm just completely enamored with the flight of the arrow and uh, I do it as much as possible. So usually if I have free time, it's not much of a decision for me. I go shoot my bow. <laughs> Joel, is that like, do people wake up with like a battery of mental will concentration and that gets drained up and it's finite? I don't believe it's finite. I think if you practice it, if you truly practice the mental game, you get better at it. And that transcends through all aspects of your life. Mm. And you get down to, you have to realize that people are doing this concentration, this way of concentration throughout their day, but they don't necessarily realize it. Like when you are yelling at a football player running down the field, you are yelling at the TV to keep going, keep going, right? You are actually primarily attempting to impart concentration on that person because you want them thinking about nothing other than continuing their movement. 
Think about one of your team members. When they're doing a movement, maybe some very finite movement, and you see the correct speed and the correct target and the correct accuracy happening, like, okay, keep going, keep going, keep going, and your speech changes and it becomes smoother. We do this all the time. So when you get better at it, you start to realize how you can use it to manipulate others and yourself. So it could be it can be used for negative ways, which we don't like to do, but you know, sometimes it is required, I guess. So if you need somebody to concentrate on something, you talking, you saying what you want to happen with that person puts their conscious mind on it. Like I've had to talk people off of bridges before. I've had to talk people off of climbing walls before. Um, you know, I've had to talk people out of some pretty crazy situations when they wanted to take their own life. So it's, uh, you can get people to concentrate simply by what you say. And that was an epiphany for me a long time ago when I was a firearms instructor, when I actually talked somebody through a trigger press for the first time ever. And it was a light bulb moment for me. As working in that field, being a police officer, working in those high stress environments, having much more dealing with much more stress than the average person, having to be much more concentrated than the average person. Does that mean you guys just have this, like you've grown and you exercise this larger pool of concentration? Well, only if you have been trained in that. So, I mean, in Washington state, I was lucky enough to be the lead firearms instructor. So everybody that, I mean, every police officer, deputy sheriff, game warden, they all had to come through me for firearms training and it was in that was in the development stages of all this stuff. So I had to figure out how to get a police officer to concentrate on a trigger press when it meant saving their life or the life of another. And that's again what set me down all these paths of research. So, but when you ask police officers now, what is your plan for a 50 meter shot? You have your pistol and that's all. What's your plan? And you will find that most of them have no plan for that. And that's why you see gunfights where, you know, there's 50, 60 rounds fired and nobody gets hit because they're outside of what's called their open loop effective range because they're smashing the trigger. And because they're doing that, they have pre-ignition movements linked to the trigger motor program and they're not hitting what they need to hit. And they don't know how to concentrate in high stress so they, they don't know how to talk themselves through it because they've never been trained in it. They've only been trained in the physicality of shooting and not the mentality of shooting. So it's not that there's a bigger pool out there. It's just, have you been trained in it? And do you practice the mental game of whatever it is that you do? Interesting. Now, what if you're sort of doing endurance type activities like running a marathon, doing ocean swimming, and you're sort of doing these long sort of painful activities are there different sort of concentration techniques you could use to sort of, you know, you're tired, you're in pain, but you have to keep going. Is it just verbally saying, keep going, you got this. And is it just speaking out loud, positive affirmations? So when you do that, there is, you know, there's such thing as self-talk, but when you, when you look at self-talk, number one, it's in the cognitive stage of learning. And number two, it's usually negative. Mm. self-talk like oh my gosh i'm getting tired maybe i should quit or whatever so self-talk is usually negative self-instruction is not 
Mm. Why would you ever instruct yourself to be negative? So again, when you're swimming, like let's say you've got a five mile swim ahead of you. Yeah. Those movements, you know, you when you start out, the movements, that's all been practiced. That's all subconsciously driven movements. There's no consequence. You're not getting punched in the face every time your hand hits the water. So just do the movements, right? But then there becomes a moment of truth when you think you're going to fail or you're too tired to go on. If you don't talk yourself through that moment and put your, you have to do the override of your central nervous system, just like we've been talking about. Because your central nervous system wants to shut down. It wants to keep you safe. So let's call for the boat to come get us. Or your limbic system is you're getting tired. It wants to be happy. And it's not happy when you're tired. So literally, you have to literally talk yourself through it. So the concentration is in continuing your movement, even though you're tired or whatever. So yes, you have to make that decision to do that. I'm going to keep going no matter what. And then you might have to talk yourself through those, those extra strokes on your swim, right? Same thing in running. There's always a point, especially in these endurance events, there is a point at which you will have your moment of truth. And it's that moment that your body wants to quit. So when you listen to these endurance runners talk, they all talk about this moment of truth. They all call it something different, but that's that's what it is. It's your moment of truth. Either you gain conscious control and conscious override of your central nervous system at that point, or you don't and you quit. You don't try to do it. You either do it or you don't. That's the reality of the situation. Does mental sort of instruction work or does it have to be verbal? So let's say you're swimming, it's a bit hard for you to speak out loud. Or let's say I'm doing this podcast with you, Joel, and I want to be focused for this whole time we have. I can't just start saying, hey, get focused, Sam, and get focused because I'm talking to a guest. Does mental sort of words work? Or what would yeah, you do in a situation absolutely. where it's, it's an internal dialogue. It's very rarely out loud. Oh. You would only hear it out loud in an extreme stress situation. Wow. And you see that. Like somebody before a wrestling match or when somebody's just absolutely spent, then you will see the strongest concentration is through out loud speech. But in most of these activities, as you said, you can't breathe when you are, you know, you can't speak when you're doing these things. Maybe you're breathing too hard. Maybe your face is underwater, whatever it is. So it's an internal dialogue. If I'm in a shooting clinic and, a, and somebody just will not make the decision, to stay in the movement, then I will have them say their decision out loud. Here I go. And then I will listen to them talk themselves through that movement out loud. And yes, they're losing air when they do that. So it's not, it's not as effective, but as far as concentration goes, because then they get to hear, and me as the instructor, I get to hear the anxiety. So what I'm looking for is, Oh, and what I hear is pull, 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 right? And you hear the anxiety that they're having. So it changes their speech patterns. So what I do, if I need them to fix their movement, I have them fix their speech pattern first. What you say is what will move. 
how you say it is how you will move. That's the neurolinguistic programming portion of this. So, you know, it, but it's usually once they get it, then it's all internal dialogue. But you will see in extreme stress situations, like there's numerous videos out there of police officers in gunfights and they're yelling, shoot, shoot, shoot. Right. That is the conscious mind's attempt at concentration. They're trying to get the gun to shoot, but it requires, you know, requires movements to do that. So understanding where to put your conscious mind, when to put it there, and then how to put it there, that is the mental game. But you have to define the task and the moment. When you sort of brought up the person who will be like, pull, 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 and it'll be stuttering and it's, you can feel the anxiety, is, have you integrated or what's your thoughts on breathing? Because whenever I'm in sort of those stuttering or, or tough situations, a deep breath seems to slow me down, get me centered. And that's sort of what I've been using. I'm definitely wanting to integrate the self-talk as well. Um, but what's your thoughts on deep breathing? So the deep breathing, what that does is that slows your heart rate so that you can remain in your forebrain so that you can consciously think. Because mm. breathing is not what makes the bow go off. But breathing is what allows you to keep your heart rate down so that you can cognitively think. So it is a step that you can do. But you think about think about somebody that's in battle and there's this concept of combat breathing, right? In through the nose for four, hold for four, out through the mouth for four, hold for four. There's other men's that like Andrew Huberman has one where he has you breathe in through the nose to the very top and then and then give it an, a little extra at past the top. And uh, that one I, I feel works even better than, than box breathing or combat breathing. But all that does is that is you making a decision to control a movement because breathing is subconsciously driven, right? We don't have to think about breathing every time. So that is subconsciously driven. You'll never find a soldier that is on the battlefield going, hmm, no kidding. I'm combat breathing right now. <laughs> it's not something that you find yourself doing. You find yourself going, I got to get control of my breathing, right? That's your, that's your decision. That's your conscious decision to do that. Then you control your breathing. That slows things down. Now you can remain cognitive. So you can actually think about the task, the moment, and how you're going to actually concentrate. So breathing is much more of a precursor to concentration than concentration itself. This is super interesting. The thing that popped into my mind as you were sort of sharing that was, is there a correlation between everything that you shared with like visualization? Sort of like a lot of boxers or, you know, competitive fighters would talk about how they would visualize the win, visualize them running around the octagon, visualize them holding up these sort of the belt. And they're sort of visualizing how the fight would go um, and I guess that's sort of a, a drawn out visualization where you're sort of just talking yourself through the motion and it's very micro. Um, is there a correlation between that and, and people visualizing long term? So the problem with visualization is, is that people have never actually seen the task. Mm. And by that, I mean, have you ever like in a golf game, have you ever put your face down to the ground 
and watch the ball go into the hole from a very close distance, right? Wow. Somebody else shooting the ball and you watch the ball roll on the ground. You watch every movement of that ball and then boop, it falls in the hole. Nobody ever does that, but they try to visualize it, but they've never actually seen it, right? So what I do in my shooting clinics is I have people shoot their release aid. I have them draw back and they're very close to a bail. And then I have them pull the bowstring away from their face slightly and look at it wow. and watch all the intricate movements of it. And they're talking to it and they're looking at it and all their consciousness, all their subconsciousness is in the release and they watch it break. Poof. They watch it actually break in real time. I have them do that with firearms as well, right? They're, they'll watch it out in front of them. And then, you know, it's obviously painted, pointed in the safe direction and I have them watch them work their trigger. Boom, the pistol goes off, right? Now it's very close. But now they can actually see what it feels like. Think about that for a second. You get to see what it feels like because you are watching it happen in real time. And this is not necessarily done with video. This has to be real time when you have all the actual tensions in your body and you have to see it happen and then and only then can you truly visualize the task so if it is winning a boxing match then you would have to have seen that before to be able to visualize it otherwise it's just imagination and sure it can help you but it's not not as strong so but in boxing there is there's not really these moments of truth because all the movements are so fast. It's all subconsciously driven. All of it is subconsciously driven. But if a boxer had to, like if they're getting hit with a certain punch and they know that that's coming and they have to see something to counter it, they would have to keep their eyes open as they're getting punched. To do that would require massive amounts of concentration on keeping your eyes open. So that's a moment of truth. How in the world would you do that? You would have to talk yourself through that, right? To get punched in the face and keep your eyes open, massive amounts of concentration that can only come from determination, decisions, and presence. So there's these little moments of truth in everything that we do. And so people, now that they hear this definition, are going to start to define their mental game much more readily, and they'll be so much more effective when they do. Because if you think about it, the mental game has been a mystery forever. Nobody's really defined it till now. That is so cool. I wanted to share this. Um, let me share my screen. Um, I was in New Zealand and I was sort of, I was doing this cycling trip. I, I was just, it was, a, it was an electric sort of motorbike and I think it just went too fast and it was gaining too much speed. I couldn't hit the brakes fast because if I did, I would skid out because it's a dirt road. And exactly what you said, I just started yelling, focus, focus, focus. <laughs> you saw your moment of truth coming. That was bad.
So it's literally what you said. I was yelling at that beginning. I didn't, but somehow I just clicked once. I started getting a bit too scared. I was like, focus, 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 focus. And right. it sort of made sure I didn't skid out and have a bad accident. Right. So you've been through that task now. So now if you ever got in that situation again, you would you would be able to put your concentration on on the right thing, which what did focus mean to you at that time? Right. So if you would, I mean, how did you get yourself out of that? Like literally physically, did you apply the brakes harder? Did you intentionally run into the bank? What did you do to get yourself out of that situation? If I were to break it down, it was lightly holding the trigger of the brake, mm -hmm. slowly with very, with control, apply more pressures on the brake, look for a bank that looks really soft and sort of get my speed down to a point where I can sort of have the bank absorb the impact. So you were, when you were looking for this, when you said focus, that is eyes, okay? So that's vision. So you actually put your concentration into vision so that you could, so that you could find the bank that you were gonna crash into, right? Now, did you consciously move the brake levers? No, subconscious. So that was subconscious. You knew, you, I mean, if you could have measured that, you would have seen that you're probably putting more than you thought you were putting into that. But if you needed to meter that for, a, for some reason, then you would have had to put your concentration into the brakes. So what would have came out in your mouth would, would probably be brakes. <laughs> so, but you put it into vision, which got you through that. So just be careful with where you put it because those those tasks that i mean those tasks come up all of a sudden so you're about to have a moment of truth and you really got to figure it out in a hurry so but if you would have practiced the mental game of this not that you would have crashed any better but you would have known more readily where to put the conscious mind in that emergency situation but there's a reason why you said it three times and in a rhythm that is the mantra, right? Mantras have been used for thousands of years in martial arts and everything else. This word means this movement or this sound means this movement. That's why there's so many sounds in meditation and all those sounds in meditation are very smooth and rhythmic, right? Because that's where they, that's how your mind is supposed to be is rhythmic and smooth, right? There, but you said, focus, focus, focus. So when we find ourselves in high stress situations, we come out with a speech pattern because of attempted concentration. It's always said more than once and in rhythm every single time. Interesting. My last question, Joel, would be like, when I'm sort of in those tough situations, it's hard to quickly figure out what I need to focus on that will save me out of this tricky situation and quickly start focusing on that one thing. It's like, that's a lot when you're sort of in that split second sort of, like for example, if you're sort of out and, and as a policeman, there's, there's someone with a gun and you need to quickly determine if this person is a, an enemy, someone that's dangerous, someone that's an ally. Like what, how do you even know what words to tell yourself to make that decision quickly? So that is just through experience. That's not, you're not having to concentrate on this and then that and then this. You know, I mean, you, you're trained and that's where training comes from, right? So when you're training, you're usually training in the physicality of something, but in, in police training, you're, 
you've been trained, you're a trained observer, right? So you learn to look for certain things and, and you see the situation like, oh, that person's got a gun, which most normal people wouldn't even see, right? Mm -hmm. So they see that he has a gun. What's he doing with the gun? Is he a threat to me or somebody else? Those are all through training. And that's where police training comes from. I and mean, you're put in these situations with simunition rounds constantly. And so you learn to, to observe but then when it comes down to you've made all these decisions like, oh, my gosh, I'm in a gunfight. I need to do this. It's very reactionary. To, if they're close enough, it's very reactionary. And you don't need to concentrate on anything but vision if they're close. Hmm. But if they are far away, you would need to switch. You would need to concentrate on trigger movement because you're going to have pre-ignition movements link to your trigger motor program if you go open loop. That's just the science of how we work. So being able to switch between those two systems has to happen instantly. And that's what we train for. Like when I'm training my folks in my department or on the SWAT team, we switch from open loop to closed loop. That would be like shooting a very close target very fast and then instantly having to switch to a distance target that's 100 yards away with your pistol and if you go open loop, there's no way you're going to hit it. So really, truly switching between these and then being able to evaluate the environment and choosing the right path. That's the key. So if you would have trained more on this bike, it would have been much easier for you to choose a different, you know, a different path of concentration if you needed to. But what I mean, a lot of people in that situation with that bike would have just screamed. And then they're completely subconscious. They don't have enough wherewithal to look for a soft spot on the bank. So kudos to you because you stayed conscious in that moment and you made yourself conscious through speech. That's what we're talking about, right? That's beautiful. Another thing that just popped in my head, Joe, what's happening when people go on tilt? When people... They've, for example, when I was doing the archery, each obstacle I'd have three arrows, and if I missed the first two, once I had my last arrow, the pressure was immensely higher. I wanted to get it because I missed the first two shot. Or when you're gambling and you're down, you keep going because you want to recover. What is that? What's happening when you go on tilt? It depends on how much value you've placed in the movement. Mm. So you've missed two shots, you know that you have to hit it on the third one. So your determination is now through the roof. That's the first ingredient, mm. right? The first ingredient is determination because the task is no different than the first two. Right. But now you're very determined. So you just changed your thought process. I have to hit this one now. So now your determination is through the roof. Now you make a decision. I'm going to shoot this one with control no matter what. That makes you more present so that you remember, oh yeah, I'm supposed to talk myself through this one, right? So it's the, it's the determination is the difference. The task doesn't change, but your determination is through the roof. Like I have a, I have a uh, signature test that I do in my clinics where people can't seem to slow down because they don't have enough determination. So I have to sit there and ridicule them until they finally get frustrated enough, they're like, okay, enough, right? The task didn't change, but they their determination is now through the roof. So what I want you or want people to do is use that determination 
for the first shot. Don't wait till the third shot, right? So you have to know what makes you determined, right? Where is your determination well and how deep is it? It may be a past experience or whatever. Like you're with that that shooting, you got to the third arrow. Well, you just experienced that. Now your determination well got a little deeper. So now you remember, oh yeah, I just missed two of them back there and then I got conscious about things. So me being a police officer, my determination well was very deep. And I knew where I had to go find it because if I didn't be, if I wasn't determined, things were going to be bad. That's amazing. Thank you so much, Shaw. I really appreciate your time today. I learned so much. This was such a fun conversation. Um, thank you so much for the time. Where can people find more about you and everything that you share? So shotiq.com is my website. I've got, I've got several, uh, several online courses on there, archery, rifle, pistol, and we're starting a new brand as well, the Joel Turner brand, where we talk about all the things that we just talked about. This is the first non-hunting shooting podcast that I've ever been on. And I've been on a lot of them. So <laughs> this is the first one where we've just had conversations about life and, and how things really work in your mind in these high stress situations that we find ourselves in. So shotiq.com is my website. Uh, I also have a book out there on Amazon control process shooting. It's mostly archery based. And then uh, there's lots of stuff coming with this mental game thing that we're, we're figuring out. So Joel Turner underscore shot IQ on Instagram. I'm on Facebook as well. And uh, come look what we're doing. Thank you so much, Joel. I can tell like you've had, you you've lived so much life. You've done so many different things and, everything that you're sharing is this accumulation of this vast knowledge that you have. And it's amazing how you sort of really, the lessons that you're teaching can be applied to everyday life. To, can be applied to business, people in corporate, people who just work a normal, like it's a lot of these are fundamentals for life. Right. Yep. Well, thanks for having me, Andy. Thank you so much. So if you guys made it this far, I just want to say thank you for watching the episode. I really, really appreciate your time. Please drop a review on Apple and Spotify. I've been reading every single review. I'd love to get your feedback. And yeah, hopefully you guys got value on today's episode and I'll see you guys next week. Peace.